Hi, I'm Susan. Welcome to my podcast, Body Soul Today, where I will be sharing with you practical, relevant, biblical answers to the problems you face in your life. You are not alone. Today we'll be talking about the mind-body connection. Is there a mind-body connection? If so, what is it? What is the mind? How does it connect to the body, if it does? And how about the body? Does what happens in the body affect your mind, that part of you that's not your body? We'll find out. We'll take a look at what Scripture says and determine the mind-body connection. We'll start with how God created mankind, how he created human beings. Most of you know the story. We find it in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It begins, of course, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The passages go on to tell us how God created the heavens, the stars, the moons, day and night, the plants and the animals. As you get to the end of chapter 1, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see there that God made mankind a little bit differently than he made the other parts of his creation, especially the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and the livestock, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, the bugs. If we continue on in chapter 1, verse 30, it speaks about everything that has the breath of life. We want to find out what that is. What is the breath of life? But we do know that after God created those things and gave them the breath of life, he says it was very good. The creation was very good in the beginning. It was perfect. Now, with human beings, first God created the body, and then he gave the body life. He gave it the breath of life. That word there is nashama, and that's the word that's translated into English to mean breath of life. We also see it in chapter 2, verse 7, and nashama is that little spark that means we're alive. There's only two states here on earth. We're either dead or we're alive. And alive means that we have neshama, the flicker that means that we are indeed living. Both animals and mankind have that spark of life, that spirit of life. Both animals and man have neshama. 
But in Genesis 1.26, we read before, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So though mankind has similarities to all of the creatures of God's creation, the spirit of mankind is different from the spirit of God's other created beings. Chapter 2 of Genesis is also a creation account. It's a little more detailed account than the large sweeping generalities of of Genesis 1, and it gives us a lot more information about human beings, about mankind. Genesis 2.7 says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Sometimes that's translated, and man became a living being. Now, that word there, where man became a living creature or a living being, is a different word than nashama, that means the spirit of life. So that word there is nafesh. Nephesh, then, was granted only to mankind. It was not granted to the other creatures, to the animals. So that word nephesh is what we think of as the soul or the self. Um, Nephesh is the seat of desires. It's, It's the emotions, the passions. It's all of those things that make you, you. Now, there are arguments on both sides of soul and spirit. Are soul and spirit the same or are soul and spirit different? Well, in scripture, those two words are often used interchangeably, that idea of mankind as a soul or mankind as a spirit. But the thing we know for sure is that all the created beings have the breath of life, that, things that, that thing that makes them alive, but that only man has nephesh, that inner spirit that makes him like God, that thing that gives him the image of God, a piece of God's character that human beings carry that the animals don't carry. So the spirit generally is that spark of life in you and me and in all that the living animals. We can rightly call that a spirit. The soul then is generally that part of us that governs our body. So our body does things. In animals, we say that animals act by training or instinct. But mankind is able to rule his body, her body, in a different way. We are ruled by the spirit within us, that spirit that is in the image of God. So maybe think about it this way. The body is our physical self, is our flesh, and that, that body is animated, comes to life by the spirit of life, nashima, 
and it's ruled by the soul nefresh. So either way, whether we call it our spirit or our soul, our soul is the thing that makes us who we are. It makes you, you, uniquely you, and it makes me, me, uniquely me. It's the essence of who I am. It's the essence of who you are. It encompasses that idea of the soul, encompasses our mind, our thoughts, our emotions, our built-in weaknesses, our inclinations, our preferences. You say tomato, I say tomato. It is our uniqueness, our personality. But who you are includes your physical self. It includes my physical self. It includes how that soul operates inside the flesh that is uniquely mine. So from this, it's clear that human beings are both flesh and spirit. They're both body and soul. And those two entities, while created distinctly, are inseparable in this life. So closely intertwined are the body and the soul that one has a profound effect upon the other. Who you are, who you are, and who I am is both body and soul. Without either one, I am not me and you wouldn't be you. Because of this influence, because of this, the influence of one cannot be separated from the other. So let's give an example. Let's talk about stress. We all know what stress is. Many, if not all of us, have experienced stress. We experience stress when we don't get our work done or when our schedule is too tight or when we have a deadline coming up or when somebody we love is not where they're supposed to be or doing things that are bad for them. So there are many, many things that can induce stress. But stress is something then that happens in our spirit or happens in our soul. It happens in that part of us that is not our body. But stress can lead to physical manifestations. We all know this. Stress can bring on digestive issues, headaches, sleeplessness, high blood pressure, heart palpitations, a whole bunch of things can be attributed to stress. Now, similarly, if one experiences a high degree of anxiety or depression or guilt, which are all very, very real feelings, those can also lead to things in our body, things like rashes, again, tummy troubles, sleepless nights, headaches, fatigue, and many, many other things. Sometimes we are so feelings-driven that we can get stuck in how we feel. 
I just don't feel like I can do this today. I feel too depressed to get out of bed. I feel too anxious to attend that event. I'm too afraid to apply for this job. So those feelings can be so strong that they literally affect our behavior. We can also get stuck in a diagnosis like... um, you're a, um, you, you have depression, or uh, you have OCD, or you have um, social anxiety, or uh, you are an alcoholic, or you are a drug addict. Now, that's a whole different, different set of things about why somebody might suffer from addictions, but they're diagnoses nonetheless, and those diagnoses often end up as labels, or sometimes we can get stuck in a wrong understanding, like uh, because I have chronic fatigue syndrome, I cannot ever do this, or because I have fibromyalgia, I cannot ever do that. Because I have ADD, I act this way. Because I'm bipolar, I must act that way. Now remember what we're saying here. The connection between the mind and the body is tight and cannot be distinguished. So are all those things real? Absolutely, they really are. But sometimes... A wrong understanding of how those things manifest and what scripture says about those things can lead to behaviors or limitations that God never intended you to have. Now, those things flowing from our spirit can show up in physical ways, but the other way around is also true. So what happens in your body affects your inner self as well. If you get a serious medical diagnosis, say cancer or lupus or fibromyalgia, you might start feeling depressed or anxious or, or fearful. Sometimes it's a chicken and egg problem and we don't really know where it might have started. Even though all those feelings are very real and most of what happens in our body is very real as well. Now let me just say a quick word about trauma here. Trauma, in all of its forms, is much the same, only there tends to be a much higher level of response. So, for instance, if somebody is undergoing severe emotional trauma, that will very likely manifest in the body at a much higher level than perhaps other kinds of soul suffering. In the same way, physical abuse or sexual abuse hurts and harms the body, but also has a response in the spirit, in the soul. And it can have a much deeper response on that inner person than other kinds of physical trauma might have. All of these are very, very real. They can carry on for many, many years. And those kinds of things that come from trauma must be approached with great care and great concern. Scripture describes that kind of caring as bearing with one another. 
as loving one another, as carrying one another's burdens. And so when there's trauma involved, the degree of bearing, the degree of loving, the degree of carrying must meet the level of the suffering. Now, in recent days, we've come up with a lot of cultural definitions that are very new to the history of humankind. All of these experiences that I've talked about and all of the ones that I haven't touched on have been known and recognized throughout the history of humankind. They're common. They're not new. Recent history, however, has given us new definitions for things that happen in the spirit. We talk about those things today as mental illness or as mental health issues. Those are the two very general categories. And we've been really good at observing and categorizing all of these experiences. And all that observing and categorizing has been very, very helpful in many, many ways. One of the ways it's helpful is that it identifies what's happening. It identifies patterns or general patterns. And those patterns are very helpful to understand. Another way that these sort of categorizations categorizations are helpful is that it helps the sufferer know she's not alone. You're not alone in this experience. You're not alone in this suffering. Your circumstances might be a little different, but there are other people who have very similar reactions very similar kinds of patterns in the way they have reacted to the issues in their life. Uh, Getting to root issues, why these things might be happening, why these feelings might be there, why they might be so strong, why you might not be able to get over them, why they affect your behavior and your everyday life. All of those root issues can can be better diagnosed or identified by all of the the categories that have been observed in uh, the recent century. Another way those uh, categories are helpful is to non-sufferers. So when we can read about and understand some of the patterns that somebody else is experiencing, it can help friends and family to gain a better perspective about what might be going on in that person's life. But at the end of the day, men and women haven't really changed much over all the millennia. We can see this is true in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This was written by Solomon, that wise old guy, and this is what he says. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. So even as far back as Solomon, 
He knew that the experiences of mankind, the experience of human beings, the experiences of men and women had a lot in common. So we can just understand that even today. Now, one of the problems with this recent practice of labeling is that it can become an identity. It can become who we are or how we think of ourselves. An identity like that often offers an excuse. For instance, I can't do that because you fill in the blank. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm fatigued. I'm tired. Now, of course, all of those things may be true, but when our feelings and our physical manifestations start affecting our life in such a way that they can't be overcome, unless, of course, there is a bona fide physiological underlying issue, then that identity, that label has has come to rule our life. And so there's no hope in that. There's no hope in the labeling. Well, unless one hopes the problem will one day go away, which rarely happens. Now, back to the Bible. Does the Bible agree that these things I'm talking about are real? You bet. Depression, worry, anxiety, fear, addiction, fear of man, and so much more are represented as part of the human condition between the covers of the Bible. Let me give you a few examples. Moses. Now, Moses had a clear case of fear of man when God told him to go back and face Pharaoh. He did not want to do it. David, King David, was quite afraid when Saul was trying to kill him. I don't blame him. Later on, David was anguished by guilt over the bad choices he had made and over many of the things he had done. There seemed to be times when that guilt threatened to eat him up. Job was another one. Now, the situation of Job was quite extreme. And yet, Job says this, I have no peace. I have no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Later on, he says, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. My goodness, that does not sound like a happy man. That's somebody who appears to be struggling with anxiety, with questions about God, with with depression, with hopelessness, with why even go on. And so while depression isn't a word used in the Bible, many of these are surely apt descriptions of what we would call depression today. Now, Nehemiah and his friends were plenty apprehensive and nervous, too, about the opposition they faced when they were rebuilding the wall. Those feelings are expressed fairly clearly in those passages. Queen Esther was anxious and fearful about many things when her uncle called her to go before her husband, the king. She was perhaps even a bit depressed at the thought of doing so. 
After all, her very life was on the line. The mother of Moses waited anxiously for news after placing her son in a basket in the river, not knowing if she would ever see him again. The loss, the fear of that loss, must have been a heavy burden upon her. The things we experience and suffer from today are not new, but they are certainly just as real. Is there hope? Yes! From cover to cover, Scripture is about real people with real struggles. It speaks to what men and women encounter in real life. The Bible recognizes these struggles and offers help and hope, especially for those who believe in Jesus. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit, writes the psalmist in Psalm 34, verse 18. Now, what I'm talking about here is not a take two verses and call me in the morning approach to dealing with emotional and mental struggles or to physical maladies either way. Nope. Biblical change is a process. It's a process that involves changing the heart, changing the soul, changing the spirit over time. It's about seeking out biblical truths and applying them to your life in a very practical way. You are not your troubles. You are not your bad decisions. You are not your environment or your parents. You are not your struggles and you are not your labels. You are created by God and He has help and hope for you in His Word. Now, I need to give a short disclaimer here. I am not a medical doctor, I am not a psychologist. And I do not give any medical advice. If you are taking any medications, do not stop taking them or change your dosage in any way without your doctor's supervision. This is super important, and so I really need you to hear that. Now that said, I want to give you three things that you can begin doing today if you are suffering in some way. These are three things that are easy, three things that are simple, and three things that can get you started on the path to a different mindset, to a different place where your soul can rest, to a different view of your life and how you're living it, if that's something that you need to do. The first thing is to begin reading the Word. Begin reading the Bible. Now, if you've been a lifelong Bible reader, then you just need to read your Bible in a different way because you're already reading it. So maybe you would start by writing Scripture out, by reading a book you've never read before, or reading a book in a different way, perhaps reading it aloud, perhaps reading it very slowly, or perhaps reading it a little bit faster. If you're brand new and you don't have a habit of being in God's Word daily, then I have two places for you to start. One place you could start is with the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is filled with the hope 
that God has for us in Jesus Christ and how he helped so many people when he was here on earth. And many of those ways that he helped people at that time are ways that he can still help us now. You can learn a lot about Jesus in the Gospel of John. Another place you can read are the Psalms. Now, the Psalms is a big book, and there are a variety of Psalms in there. But many, many, many of them really minister to the soul. So if you're new to Bible reading, consider starting in one of those places. If you're not new to the Word, but you've been out of practice, maybe you would want to start with Philippians. Philippians is a fabulous book on how to have joy and is very foundational in making those changes in perspective at the soul level. So the second thing you could do is create a list of 25 things that you are personally thankful for. 25 things. Be specific. No generalities. Really think about it. Try to get a complete list of 25. And then you can pray five of those things back to God each day to express your thankfulness. Keep adding to your list Uh, day by day as things come to mind, and then pray through your list over and over and over. Thankfulness is listed in Scripture many, many times. You will find the practice of gratitude or the practice of giving thanks from cover to cover in the Bible, and it is essential for changing a mindset. The last thing you can do is begin to attend a Bible-believing church. Now, if you're already a a churchgoer, then I'm super happy for you, and I hope that you will keep up that practice. But a Bible-believing church is one that speaks the truth of God's Word. It doesn't water it down, nor is it legalistic. One way to help identify a Bible-believing church is to find one that supports what's called biblical counseling by those words, biblical counseling. Now, are you already a regular attender, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago? Then maybe you can do something else in addition to that. Maybe go to a woman's Bible study, start attending a small group, already do those things, meet someone new for coffee. Invite someone over to your house. Send a card to someone you know is hurting or someone you don't know very well. Do something that makes a change. So those are the three things you could start doing today. Begin reading the Word of God. Create a list of 25 things you are thankful for. And begin attending a Bible-believing church or change how you interact with that local church if you're already a regular attender. So, is there a connection between the body and the soul? I think we can say with certainty, yes, we are an integrated being. What happens in one part of us cannot help but affect the other parts. I hope you have gained a different perspective on some of life's difficulties. There is a biblical process to overcome struggles with depression, fear, worry, anxiety, and a host of other things that are common to man.
So as we come to an end today, I want to remind you what Paul said to the Corinthian church. You'll find this in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So we do not lose heart. So my friend, let me ask you, are you feelings driven? Do feelings tend to overwhelm you at different times of the day or the week? Are you controlled by how you feel? Do you find yourself using those words in day-to-day language? I feel this way, I feel that way. Or excusing yourself from doing things based on how you feel? Are you stuck in a diagnosis or a label? Or are you stuck in a wrong understanding of how the mind and the body are connected? Do not lose heart, my friend. While you cannot control when a feeling comes or how you feel a feeling, you can control your response. And there is hope in that. I'll be talking about what that looks like over the weeks to come. So thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast, Body Soul, today. And I truly hope you will meet me here next Thursday for practical counsel from the Word of God to help you navigate life's ups and downs. Remember, lift your eyes heavenward to walk those waves. Thanks for listening in. This is Susan saying bye for now.